0: Well, that's true. You're not my (laughs) grandma. Yeah, exactly.
1: Welcome to the Four Corners Crimecast. My name is Jake. My name is Rory.
2: And I'm your host, Katie, and today we are talking about ways to dispose of a body.
1: With special guest this week. You've heard of her many tales, emotional stories, (laughs) and... uh, All around just good feelings. My sister Eva is here. Hello, Eva. Introduce yourself to the podcast world.
0: My name is Eva. I'm Rory's sister.
1: That's about all you need to know. (laughs) She suggested the episode, right?
0: Yeah. This was her idea. This is her idea. This was my... This was my (laughs) idea. (laughs) You're welcome, everyone. Yeah,
1: Yeah, thank you.
2: We asked for something fun, and this is what you (laughs) chose.
0: And this was pretty fun.
1: (laughs) This falls right in line with Katie's idea of fun anyways. Yeah, she loves having these things in her brain. She's told us numerous times.
0: Yeah, yeah, I can see why. All right, well, I'm excited to uh, hear what Katie has to say.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, where'd you do your research on this one, Katie?
2: So for method number one, it was the Criminal Minds fandom website and the Columbus Dispatch.
1: Oh, so we're going to have a couple different methods for body disposal? We do.
2: Method number one is hiding a body inside a hollowed out tree.
1: Now, interesting, not my choice of hiding a body, but then again, he may have his reasons. So why don't you go ahead and... Is it common to hide a body up in a tree? For leopards, yes.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Animal facts.
1: Why don't you go ahead and start us off on this one, Katie?
2: Matthew Hoffman isn't just unique in his body disposal methods, but every aspect of his life. According to neighbors, when he was young, he would capture squirrels and eat them. He also allegedly lit small fires in his front yard and sat in trees.
0: Like a leopard.
2: His first run-in with the law happened in 2001, when Hoffman was charged with theft, burglary, and first-degree arson for setting an apartment complex on fire to cover up his break-in. He received eight years in prison for that stunt. In 2007, he was paroled from the Colorado prison to Knox County, Ohio, where he eventually began
0: working as a tree trimmer.
1: Ideal circumstance for him,
0: is it? Is it, though? <laughs> I feel like he's cutting the thing that he loves so much.
1: Well, he has the skill to get up there and get those branches off.
0: Well, that's true. Hoffman had a
2: rather unique obsession, trees, and especially leaves.
1: What did he do with the leaves?
2: He put them all over his house.
1: Just all over his house? What about all over his body?
2: I'm sure he jerked off to leaves, no. as you're asking me. <laughs> What are you implying? I
1: was implying he made clothes. Jesus <laughs> fucking Christ!
2: <laughs> I figured it was something. So also much did he worse. jerk off with them? I'm sure he did, but I don't think he's ever explicitly stated that he has a fetish for leaves.
1: Uh, yeah, I was. I mean, I didn't wasn't gonna ask that, but I was wondering. It, so thanks. what is a fetish for leaves called, Katie?
0: I don't think it's got a name.
1: Arborophilia.
0: Oh, that sounds good.
2: Let's go with that.
1: Foliophilia? Foliage.
2: On November 10, 2010, Hoffman slept outside of a home in a sleeping bag, supposedly planning on burglarizing it the next morning. When he woke up, the two cars outside were gone, and he decided it was go time. The front door was locked, which you'd think a burglar would know, so he squeezed under the partially open garage door and broke in. After about an hour looking around for valuables and not finding anything, Hoffman was preparing to leave when the homeowner, Tina Herman, returned.
1: How did you not find anything after he was looking around for an hour in the house? Maybe he, he's not a good looker. Were they only, poor?
2: No, he only wanted small stuff, so he wanted cash, jewelry. No TVs? No, he didn't. Wait, he when was this? Stuff he didn't have carry. a
1: car. 2010. 2010. You TVs are small enough to carry. You he's going to slap a
2: TV on his back and like, ride his bike down the street? What do you think he's going to do with this television after it takes it?
1: Have you ever seen a tweaker do the tweaker crawl? It's like a crab crawl, and they put whatever they just stole on their stomach.
0: I literally have never seen that, and I don't well, know what you're talking about. It's, oh, yeah. It's I live my, in Portland, and I have never seen anything like that, and I have seen some tweakers do some shit. Is
1: that what you are talking six about? you have tweakers in your backyard? Is that what they talk about when they say hobo crabs? Hobo crabs. Yeah. They get to the pawn shop, and it's all she wrote.
2: Unable to escape the house, Hoffman brandished the knife he'd brought as Tina walked into the bedroom. He told her to lay flat on the bed, and she complied. He also had a blackjack, apparently a short, lead filled baton like weapon that he planned to knock her out with. After hitting her a few times, Hoffman was surprised by Tina's neighbor, Stephanie Sprang, entering the bedroom. Not sure what to do, Hoffman grabbed his knife and stabbed Tina twice in the back, then chased Stephanie down and stabbed her in the chest. Once she was dead, he returned to the bedroom and stabbed Tina again, ensuring that she was no longer breathing. Hoffman paced around the home for a bit, slowly realizing how badly he'd just fucked up. He then killed the family dog, too, because it wouldn't stop barking.
1: Oh, what an asshole. Like, I mean, yeah, he was an asshole before for the murder, but that was unnecessary. To yeah, kill now the dog. I really don't like him.
2: <laughs> it always makes me really uncomfortable when you guys only get angry after a dog has died, and not well, two women.
1: They could have been two men, and I still. <laughs> yeah, I mean, people yep, are people. There you go. People are people. I don't, I don't understand the dog thing.
0: But you understand the people thing?
1: Sure. People piss me off sometimes. Two Anyways. innocent
0: women who walked.
1: No, I just I. Never mind. I'm sensitive about dogs. I apologize.
0: Non
2: women. <laughs> <laughs> After running through his options to dispose of the bodies, Hoffman eventually decided he had to dismember them. He took them to the bathtub where he cut Tina and Stephanie's bodies apart and placed the pieces into garbage
0: bags. Can I ask a question here? You can. How many bathtubs do you think have hosted a body cutting? One in six. One in six. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds about right.
1: I'm hoping it's (laughs) one. You sounded
0: really confident about that number. Like, you just know.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, well, if you extrapolate.
0: He's he's lived in six houses and he's cut up a body in one. There's only one that
1: has (laughs) had a body in it. One in six. (laughs) facts yeah same. can't even escape straight facts. from the horse's mouth
0: all right thank you mm-hmm. that answers my question
1: i don't know it's probably a lot i mean there are a lot of hot tubs out there
0: like, And there's a lot of cut bodies
1: i mean not that not as many as tubs <laughs> it's like what one in 20
0: <laughs> 20 tubs or there's one in 20 how many, how many in people die per year
1: Thousands. well how many people go many missing people i guess murdered. and we assumed that like 10 percent of those are tub bodies uh i don't know 12 percent
0: 12 percent of tubs have had a body cut up in them yeah
1: hmm. that, that still seems high it yeah, well. seems
2: like a really large <laughs> number
1: god damn
0: i'm gonna do some research on this and come back and i want you guys to do this on the next episode okay do an update. yeah
1: an update on how many bodies have had tubs in them
0: yeah cool As he was loading the bags into
2: one of the woman's cars, Tina's two children, Cody and Sarah Maynard, walked into the house. Hoffman attacked Cody first, stabbing him in the chest until he was dead. He ran after Sarah, who'd run into the bedroom, but, according to Hoffman, could not bring himself to kill her. Instead, he kidnapped her. He took her to his home, which was literally covered in leaves. The bedroom floor where he tied Sarah up was completely covered, wall to wall, in a thick layer of leaves. Hoffman would repeatedly sexually assault Sarah over the next four days.
1: How old were the kids?
2: Cody was 11, and Sarah was 13.
1: Fuck this guy. Yeah, fuck this guy for sure.
2: After getting Sarah back to his home, Hoffman had to figure out where to dispose of the three dismembered bodies he had in the stolen car he was driving. He knew of a 60-foot tree in the Cocosin Wildlife Area that was completely hollow inside. Using his tree-climbing equipment, Hoffman got to an open part of the tree and dropped the garbage bags of human remains inside the tree.
1: So he lugged the trash bags of remains up this tree?
2: Mm
1: Mm-hmm. How would anybody ever find this?
2: You wouldn't. Yeah. Why would anyone ever think to look in a tree?
1: No one would. That's so crazy. Well, I mean, maybe if they were like... It was post-apocalyptic, and you were like, I'm going to build a house, and you cut down the tree you were like, this tree's got bones. Yeah, but you didn't look in it for bodies. No, you'd find the bones. You'd think that the tree was bone tree.
2: Police first encountered Hoffman in the same parking lot where Tina's truck was discovered. He claimed that he was waiting for his girlfriend and was released. According to Hoffman, he planned on taking the truck back to the home and burning it down, but he was too late as a welfare check had been called for Tina and police had discovered the crime scene. Inside the home, they also found tarps and trash bags that had been purchased at a local Walmart. After checking surveillance, they recognized Hoffman from their run-in in in the parking lot.
1: Why wasn't he just wearing leaves?
2: (laughs) (laughs) I don't think he carried them with him. I think he kept them all in his house.
1: See, that was the problem. If he had covered his car and himself and his house how are you ever going to find a leaf house i mean you just look for the just world's big largest house pile covered of leaves, leaves, leaves
0: in the middle of a city <laughs> yeah
1: just walking down the street <laughs> that's a big pile of leaves that's nothing of leaves. to look at here and it's
0: got windows That's
2: crazy no. i wonder if that it's a pile house. of leaves is walking down the street so, <laughs> so
1: they caught him off of surveillance
2: basically yes police raided his home only 4 days after the murders and discovered sarah in the basement tied up on a pile of leaves. Hoffman would later say that he treated Sarah well, giving her the book Treasure Island, watching movies with her, and sleeping with his arm around her.
0: Ugh. Gross.
1: What a terrible piece of shit.
2: He eventually told investigators that he'd hidden the three bodies inside the hollowed-out tree. He took a plea deal, pleading guilty in exchange for, for avoiding the death penalty.
1: Did they, uh... So they went and got the bodies then back from the tree?
2: Yeah, and they were super, super nice to him, and treated him really well and because they knew they would never find these bodies oh if they, if they didn't, didn't get yeah. it
1: coerce it out of him did they later beat him in jail do we know if he ever got his comeuppance in prison
2: i don't think he did i think he's probably in pc
1: hmm. well he killed oh no he kid well he killed one kid right he raped a child and, yeah 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 he's gonna get he's gonna get fucked up in uh no matter where he's at i think that's Good. why they
2: put you in pc so you don't get fucked up
1: no oh protective i thought you meant like gp that's what i was thinking i got confused letters are hard and uh what's the next one we got katie
2: the next method is to flush them down the toilet which side note doesn't work don't do this
1: where does that where does that body go does it just sit under your house in the pipes like if you flush it.
2: Uh, you mean if it doesn't like flush down, where does it go?
1: No, if it flushes down, where does it go into the
2: wastewater treatment plant? So
1: there could be bodies going through the wastewater treatment plant all chopped up. Oh wait, yes. no, you said it doesn't work. Just,
2: I mean, I think if you probably only flushed one, it might work. But if you're flushing multiple over the course of several months it um it's kinda like I guess putting cooking grease down your drain all the time. Yeah, I remember. eventually clogs.
1: I remember when it would clog up at Cappy's and the whole kitchen would smell the high (laughs) out.
2: Yeah, it's like that, but way worse.
1: So where'd you do your research on this one, Katie?
2: This one I used biography.com and then I also used Wikipedia, which I'm sure someone's going to give me shit for. But I didn't do like my normal intense research for this one. This is just the basic facts. This
1: is a chillaxed episode, right? Laid back. Why don't you go ahead and get us started, Katie?
2: Dennis Nilsson definitely deserves an episode of his own, but we're going to keep this short for now. Nilsson was born and raised in Scotland, where he had a relatively normal childhood.
1: Where at? Scotland. (laughs)
2: Thanks, (laughs) Mark. As he reached puberty, though, he realized that he was gay, which was not widely accepted in the 50s. His first sexual experiences were with family.
1: Yeah. Yuck.
2: Nilsson believed that because the boys he was attracted to looked similar to his sister, that he was actually attracted to her. Trying to figure it out, he sexually abused her and eventually his older brother. His older brother quickly figured out Nilsen was gay and publicly harassed him for it. Wanting to get away from this and his family overall, Nilsen joined the army.
1: A lot of dudes in the army.
2: There was also apparently an experience he was really close with his grandfather when he was younger, and he died unexpectedly, and Nilsson went to an open casket funeral. And, and that it was empty. Cross some wires, I guess.
1: Oh hmm. His Seeing
2: grandpa? A body. I think it was just a body. Yeah, you know, they mm. look
1: waxy. It's it's disturbing for a child. My it's sister- even more disturbing for a child when they're walking around with a little kid boner. Whoa.
0: Do you wanna talk about that?
1: No, it's just that's what happened. That's what happened to him.
2: Yeah, he was like super into necrophilia, and that like started when he saw his grandfather's body. When he saw a body oh. for the first time. Okay, that was not uh, clear from what. That I was said. not clear. <laughs> not enough. <a non-secular laughs> oh, okay. As well, part of the conversation. Yeah, no. Rory knows more about this than I think probably you guys. But yeah,
1: <laughs> I'm. Yeah, he does.
0: <laughs> about Dennis Nelson. Yes.
2: to be, yes. Clear. Yeah, yes, yeah, to be yes, clear. Yes. To Yes. <laughs> yeah. Not that's necrophilia. The thing. While deployed in Germany, Nilsson discovered his love of alcohol and uncovered some of his sexual fantasies. After a night of heavy drinking, Nilsson awoke on the floor of a flat next to one of his colleagues, who was still passed out. This led to Nilsson developing a fantasy of his sexual partners being unconscious or completely passive during intercourse.
1: So he didn't already have this necrophilia thing going on, or it was just like kind of planted when he saw his grandpa.
0: Yeah, I think it takes um. A couple instances,
2: yeah. I, th- I think it takes a while to figure out um, what that you're into, you're into dead yeah. bodies, <laughs> yeah. It's That's not, not like, something uh, that, like, you just, just realize done. <laughs> you hit puberty and you're like, Oh my god, you know what? I'd like dead people and I would like to have sex with them. Although he never made a move on anyone, Nelson would drink significantly, then pretend to be unconscious in hopes one of his army buddies would take advantage of him.
1: The old don't ask, don't tell he just fell asleep with his butt in the air.
2: (laughs) Nilsson eventually went on to fantasize about necrophilia and masturbate while staring at himself in the mirror, nude and prone on the floor. Nilsson left the army in 1972 and moved to London, where he bounced around jobs for a few years. He also began dating a man who he'd met in a gay bar, and the two quickly moved in together. They lived together for three years, but had a strained relationship, both often bringing home other men and sleeping in separate rooms. In 1977, Nilsson forced the man to leave the home, and Nilsson became extremely withdrawn and solitary. Between 1978 and 1983, Nilsson began luring both homo and heterosexual males into his home with the offer of shelter or alcohol. Most he met at bars, but some he met on public transportation or in other situations. After giving the men alcohol and food, Nilsson would strangle them with a ligature. If this did not kill his victim, Nilsson would take their unconscious body and drown them in the bathtub. One in six. He would then clean the bodies and keep them in his home for up to months before dismembering them.
1: Well, how would he store them?
2: Under his floorboards. Interesting. Or in his cupboards.
1: And that didn't stink?
2: It did. Okay. I just think once you've murdered enough people, the smell doesn't bother you anymore.
1: Interesting. If anything, you start to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And you just wake up in the morning and it's like Folgers to you. Yeah. Best part of waking up is with... Bodies under your floorboard smell permeating your home. Into your cup.
2: Nilsen's first victim, 14-year-old Stephen Holmes, was drowned in a bucket of water before being stored under the home's floorboards for eight months and then burned in a bonfire. In October of 1979, Nilsen attempted to strangle Andrew Ho to death, but he escaped and reported Nilsen to the police. He was questioned, but Andrew decided not to press charges.
1: Oh, Andrew fucked up. What a hoe. <laughs>
2: really you (laughs) had to take that low hanging fruit
1: (laughs) so he could have technically this is where it could have ended for dennis nelson right
2: There would have been a break certainly i think he would have gotten
0: back out of prison and continued
1: i think it would have started more bonfires
0: but then i think this andrew guy would have had to say he went home with a dude yeah and nobody really wants to do that in what is this like the 70s 70s? 78
1: yeah era of free love but not but all
2: it's still free not free
0: love. Yeah, it's not accepted.
2: Nilsen's next victim was 23-year-old Kenneth Ockenden, who was strangled and stored under Nilsen's floorboards. 16-year-old Martin Duffy was strangled unconscious, then drowned in May of 1980. His body was stored in a cupboard for two days before being placed under the floorboards.
1: So he just had a whole bunch of bodies in the floorboards.
2: Mm-hmm. I love
0: that kind of storage space.
2: Between Martin's murder in May and the end of 1980, Nilsen killed five more men, only one of whom has been identified, and attempted to kill another. With six bodies stored under his floorboards, the smell eventually became overbearing and Nilsen removed the bodies. After dismembering them, he burned them in a large bonfire behind his flat.
1: Did he invite all his friends?
2: So the weird thing is a bunch of kids actually came and like stood and watched with no idea that there was bodies burning in front of them. No, he, so he would put an old tire on the very top, and that way he could be like, when people are like, what the fuck is that smell? He could be like, oh, it's just an old tire. I decided to burn in my backyard.
1: Like, gee, mister, you burn an old tire every time you have a bonfire. Oh, just burning rubber around.
2: Nelson admitted to masturbating to and molesting the bodies after killing each man but said he never had sex with any of them.
1: Do you really believe him?
2: No. no. Why would you ever?
1: <laughs> I, yeah, I just jerked off on him.
0: He, like, said that he dreamed about having sex with dead people, so why would he then not have sex with the dead body?
2: By April of 1981, Nilsson had killed four more unidentified victims and stored them all under the floorboards. In September, he killed 23-year-old Malcolm Barlow, the pair met when Nilsson found Malcolm sitting outside his home and called him an ambulance. After being released from the hospital, Malcolm returned to Nilsson's flat to thank him. He was invited in and fell unconscious after drinking soda Nilsson served him. He was strangled to death. After this fifth murder, Nilsson's landlord asked him to move out so he could renovate the apartments. Nilsson had already dismembered four of the bodies and placed them back under the floorboards. So he dismembered Malcolm's body and burned all five on yet another bonfire.
1: I think the landlord was like, All right, dude, it's time to move out. I know you got some skeletons in the closet, but you gotta get them out. And he's like, Ha ha ha. <laughs> Joke's on you, fatty. They're under the floorboard.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Nelson moved into a new apartment but it was on the second story, so he was unable to store his victims under the floorboards. He took a short break from killing before resuming in March 1982 with 23-year-old John Howlett. In May, Nilsen attempted to kill 21-year-old Carl daughter by drowning. For some reason, after realizing that Carl was still alive, Nilsen nursed him back to health from the brink of death and took care of him while he recovered over the next two days. Nilsen told Carl that he'd become wrapped in the tie of his sleeping bag and nearly died, but Nilsen had saved him.
1: Was he trying to get, like, a best friend out of the deal or an indentured servant or something?
2: No, I think he just, it was too much work.
1: He was probably bored. Like, what's, wanted to try something different. What's more work? Finishing someone off, killing them, getting rid of their body, or nursing them back to health and listening to them crying and complain for two days about how they feel bad?
0: The second one, oh. nursing them back to health.
1: That sounds like more work, right?
0: No, it sounds like less work.
1: Oh, this sounds like more work to me. Was he still having sex I with him while he was nursing him back to health? No.
0: <laughs> so he just, he nursed him back to health and then just let him go? Yeah. Because he didn't really have any
2: recollection of what had happened. Like, he didn't know for sure that Nilsson had tried to kill him.
1: Well, you got your tie stuck in a sleeping bag, you silly goose. That's that huh. kind of how that went. I'm sure it, it sounded movie?
2: just like that.
1: Oi. Oy. You like got your toy zone. stuck in a, in a sleeping bag, it was you a silly a
0: from so, his sleeping yeah, bag. Yeah, so you know oh. how you can like tighten like a drawstring. He wasn't sleeping in a suit and tie <laughs> in a <laughs> sleeping bag. I <That's> know <laughs> what I was thinking. The world's fanciest homeless man. <laughs> in June, Nilsen strangled 27-year-old Graham
2: Allen to death and stored his body in the tub before dismembering him on the kitchen floor. In January of 1983, Nilsen killed his last victim, 20-year-old Stephen Sinclair.
1: How many victims is that?
2: 12 confirmed dang that's
1: a lot so that how many bathtubs was that
2: well he lived in two houses so that would be two bathtubs two
1: bathtubs 12 people (gasps) one in six
2: (laughs) (laughs) on february 4th 1983 Nilsson wrote a complaint to the apartment owners that the drains in his flat weren't working other tenants were having similar issues and had also complained so a plumbing service was sent out to fix the problem after opening a drain cover, the plumber discovered that the drain was clogged with tons of a human flesh-like substance and small bones. Calling over his supervisor, they agreed to postpone the repair. Nilsen and other tenants gathered around the drain and debated on what it may be. When the plumber pointed out it looked like human flesh, Nielsen said, quote, It looks to me like someone has been flushing their Kentucky Fried Chicken. When the plumbers arrived the next morning, the drain was magically fixed. They continued to look around and discovered more flesh and bones lodged in the pipes coming from Nilsson's apartment. The police were called, and it was confirmed to be human flesh in the drains, and detectives waited for Nilsson to get home from work. He invited them inside his apartment to answer their questions, where they immediately noticed the overwhelming smell of decay. The rest of his victims' remains were discovered dismembered inside of his wardrobe. During his interview on the 10th, Nilsson directed police to three other locations around the home where the remains where remains were also stored. He also admitted to boiling the heads of his victims so there would be no flesh left to dispose of. He admitted that the organs and smaller pieces of flesh would be flushed down the toilet. Nilsson was, of course, tried and convicted of six murders and two attempted murders. Originally sentenced to a minimum of 25 years, his sentence was eventually up to life. He died in prison in 2018. Apparently, it was an excruciating death. That's how one article described it.
1: Good prostate cancer.
2: I'm not sure. Mm. In January of this year, a friend of Nilsson's published his autobiography, which he'd written in prison. It's titled The History of a Drowning Boy, and I'm sure it's just fantastic. It's available in print on Amazon and even has a Kindle version because I don't know why wouldn't you.
1: So the Drowning Boy.
2: He almost drowned and his grandpa saved him when he was a kid.
0: Oh, so it is about him.
1: Okay. Yes. I was like, well, who knows? Maybe he's just talking about all the boys that he drowned. Maybe they should have just not saved him. I
2: yeah. mean, I don't think your grandpa assumes that you're going to become a serial killer when you grow up. And so it's kind of like instinct to save your grandchild. Yeah.
1: We've got a couple more, right, Katie?
2: Yes, we do. We have two more.
1: Why don't you go ahead and start us off on the next one?
2: So the source for this one was the Guardian. And method three is just don't even bother getting rid of the body. Just hang on to it. Keep it with you? Keep it with you.
1: Like a backpack?
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Yep, just wear it. In 1997, Lee and Sabine's husband, John, disappeared without a trace in South Wales. According to Lee, John was abusive towards her and had left home, calling him a womanizer. After John's disappearance, Lee would constantly joke about having killed him to her friends, who never believed her. She also had this odd skeleton wrapped in tons and layers of plastic that she kept in her shed.
1: This is in South Wales. Is this Australia? Or is this, uh... England.
2: England, Wales.
1: Okay, just wondering. We seem to have a a theme of uh, people trying to get rid of bodies in weird ways in England. Just, let's continue on.
0: Yeah, that's never happened here. No, never. Never. Except for the first one.
1: Yeah, the first one.
0: And the last one we're going to talk about. Ah, Lee
2: said that it was a medical skeleton she'd purchased to help her with nursing school. In 2016, she told her hairdresser she was going to be famous someday because of the quote unquote body in the bag. After her death, 18 years after John disappeared, a friend of Lee's went to retrieve the skeleton to play a joke on someone.
1: (laughs) The joke was on her.
2: After unwrapping it, she realized that it was John, perfectly preserved by a probably accidental chemical mummification.
1: Gotcha, bitch!
2: <laughs> Wait, so it was an
0: actual mummy body? Yeah. Basically.
1: You know how, like, the, the shelves in your shed always leak a little bit of, like, chemicals? Just seeped onto him? Preserved. Mummified in. him.
0: So nobody actually looked and confirmed that it was a, a skeleton?
2: No, it was so. It was wrapped in so many layers of plastic, I don't think you could, like, visibly see that oh, okay but it was so shrunken down that it probably looked like a skeleton. like a skeleton it was the same size
1: let's say that when I met Rory like 11 years ago he had this plastic body looking thing wrapped up in a shed and he'd been telling me for 10 years it was a skeleton
0: <laughs> oh you mean that big hunk of plastic in a <laughs> shed
1: no it's I would a never believe plastic. it don't 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 worry about that This is a big hunk of plastic I used to study anatomy for my degree. Uh Well, someday you're going to be famous for the body in the bag. And someday I'm going to be famous for the Jake in the shed.
2: John was still wearing his pajamas, and his body was so well kept that forensic scientists were able to tell the exact percentage of alcohol in his body the moment he died. What? Based on his injuries, it's assumed that Lee beat him to death with a stone frog they kept by their bed.
1: So next time your friend tells you to <laughs> jokingly that they killed their husband,
2: hey, you better
1: call the police. How'd that sound?
0: Much worse. <laughs> bad, <I just> <laughs> it sounded it. bad.
1: See, I'm just trying to hype you up. If someone does tell me that they killed their significant other, I'm not going to believe them.
0: You're not going to believe them? No, what 100%. If, what What if the person has been disappeared for years?
1: Oh, well, I mean, if it's like, you know, we've had a few drinks at a bonfire and then all of a sudden they want to divulge this, then I might believe them. But if we're just at the mailboxes and I'm, let's say, drinking a slushy and I open my mailbox and I'm like, pull out my mail and they walk up and I'm sitting there now, just drinking my slushy and I'm looking at them and they start talking to me. <laughs> Why are you looking at me like that?
2: Because it's <laughs> a really long winded
1: story. And they say, oh, fucking, remember John? Killed the shit out
2: of that motherfucker.
1: I'm gonna be like, why the fuck are you telling me this on the road, on the street? I got a slushy. I'm going back inside. It's not, it, you know, you got to be real. And if they're like right there talking to me while I'm trying to eat, drink my slushy, okay, I don't think I can got take it. them seriously.
0: So the moral of the story is, if you have a crime to confess, <laughs> just tell Jake. Because he will not believe you unless we're drinking. So you're gonna believe them if they're drunk.
1: If we, yeah, uh, well, yeah, people tell the truth when they're drunk, Eva. So here's here's what I got from this: the only time you can't believe someone is when they're at their mailbox.
0: <laughs> and Jake will <laughs> yeah. be very distracted it if the, he has a slushie. Was it the
2: mailbox or the slushie that it makes was an you, eg? Actually, I'm that sorry. makes you think that they're not telling the truth.
1: Was it the mail? Uh, no, the fact that. It's the they're fact that he has me. a slushy. Yeah, they're interrupting me. I don't think they're fucking He doesn't me. want
0: they're... it to melt because it's a thousand degrees. Yeah. In I are interrupting you doing?
1: I'm not going to take someone slush, seriously. You get the hush. That's all it
2: is. <laughs> I'm just like.
1: I'm just not going to take someone seriously if they come up to me and they're in everyday conversation, they joke about it. It's like, okay, it's a joke, I guess. All what? right, Kitty, Last we got one. one more, right?
2: Yes, we have one more. Method four is to use the body in a traveling carnival.
1: Oh, like a prop. This Mm -hmm. feels like it's going to
2: be my favorite one.
1: I think that a scarecrow. That's how I would do it.
0: An elephant. Well, let's save that for
1: the end. We'll uh, we'll, uh, go over how we will dispose of our bodies at the end.
2: Elmer McCurdy was a career criminal, but not a very good one. In October of 1911, McCurdy and accomplices planned to rob a train they heard was carrying $400,000. In a mix-up, they ended up stopping a passenger train with no money on it getting away with $46, some whiskey, and a watch.
1: That fucking McCurdy game. <laughs> 46 <laughs> bucks back then, you know, that was like 100 bucks today, so at least they got lunch.
0: But $400,000 back then would be like $2 million today.
1: Ooh. And horses back then had bigger hooves.
0: <laughs> That's evolution, baby. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's why they're faster these days. Mm-hmm.
2: Local newspapers called the heist, quote, one of the smallest in history of train robbery, which I'm sure really hurt their feelings.
1: I think they should just be glad they were in the paper. Like, with a $46 heist, there are literally people who uh, pickpocket more in a day. So they had to split it four ways. So it wasn't actually $46. (laughs) You get 364 cents. you piece of shit. I know my math's way off.
2: Police quickly figured out McCurdy was responsible and surrounded the shed he was sleeping in, eventually shooting and killing him.
1: How long does it take when, you're, when you've been shot for your blood to start McCurdling? Now, McCurdy, I know you heard me. Get up out of that shed.
2: McCurdy's body was sent to a local funeral home who embalmed the body and kept it. Because there was no next of kin to claim the body, the funeral director refused to bury McCurdy until he was paid. Five years later, a man got a hold of the funeral director claiming to be McCurdy's brother, requesting that the body be sent to San Francisco for burial. Instead, they took custody of McCurdy's body and had it shipped via train to Kansas. The men were not related to McCurdy at all. They were actually James and Charles Patterson, owners of the traveling carnival The Great Patterson Carnival Shows. McCurdy's body was set up in a future they titled The Outlaw Who Would Never Be Captured Alive.
1: Man, some people were just rubes back then. Oh yeah, that McCurdy, he's my brother. Will you send me his body? Of course. Five dollars, please. And then they just ship a body to two random dudes? Dude, the embalmer didn't give a fuck as long as he got paid. He just
2: literally just wanted money. That's why he kept him so long, because he wanted to be paid for the embalming that he did. It's like, I use my good arsenic for this, and somebody's going to pay for it.
1: Well, they probably even told him, they're like, hey, uh, yeah, we're going to just do a whole weekend at Barney's thing with him on the carnival. And he's mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm, don't care. Give me my money. In
2: 1922, the Patterson sold the carnival to another man who displayed McCurdy's body with his other wax figures of famous outlaws in his traveling museum <laughs> of crime.
1: Sounds kind of awesome, actually. <laughs>
2: In 1933, the body was then acquired by a director who displayed it in a movie theater to draw attention to his movie, Narcotic. After the Museum of Crime's owner died, McCurdy's now mummified body was placed in storage until 1964, when it was retrieved and used in a movie.
1: Oh, can we take guesses on what movie it was used in? Um. In
2: 1968, it was sold to the owner of the Hollywood Wax Museum. After sustaining some damage, the wax museum owner sold it to yet another carnival owner, who displayed it at an amusement zone in Long Beach, California. At this point, everyone assumed that McCurdy's body was wax, as it came from the Museum of Crime, who only displayed wax figures of criminals, not actual criminals.
1: And nobody, when they were touching it or moving it, realized, like, hey, this isn't wax, this is, stinks, this smells like a dead person. He was kind of preserved.
2: was mummified, and he was also covered in wax.
1: Do mummies not stink? Not A little musty? No.
2: But if it was covered in wax... Yeah. yeah, I that mean, they... Probably,
1: you gotta crack the seal first.
2: They touched him up. They didn't just let...
1: Oh, they they droop, they drizzled him. They no, covered
2: they, him in wax and they, they painted him. They rebuilt his face.
1: No they, fucking way, really?
2: They yeah. thought... Oh, my God. Eventually, after making its way through so many hands, they thought he was just a wax figure. Or and like, so they kept putting more wax on him to touch up yeah. to <laughs> his, his
0: features. This wax dude looks like shit. He needs more wax. And paint. And then you just... Okay, Yeah.
1: well, are are you going to tell us how they found out it was a body? Because I'm hoping they dropped him. In
2: 1976, a crew was in Long Beach filming an episode of The Six Million Dollar Man. While filming in the area where McCurdy's body was hung, a crew member bumped into the body and the arm broke off, revealing bones and mummified muscle tissue. (coughs) So yes, that is exactly what happened. Police retrieved McCurdy's body and an autopsy was done, revealing underneath layers of wax and paint that the body was in fact a real human. Using clues from his teeth, the tuberculosis in his lungs, and a stub for the museum of crime inside his mouth, the medical examiner was eventually able to track down McCurdy's identity. Eventually, a long-lost relative of McCurdy's came forward and took the final possession of his body. He was buried in an Oklahoma cemetery underneath two feet of concrete to ensure his body would not be stolen.
1: So he just got like a, a posthumous thrill ride. Just went on vacation. And now yeah. we're going to make sure he doesn't get taken again. Weekend at McCurdy's definitely has been.
2: There are many other notable killers who have found unusual ways to dispose of their victims that we won't cover today, but eventually might. Some of them include Robert Picton, who fed his victims to his pigs, H.H. H. Holmes, who sold his victims to medical schools as cadavers, Gary Heidnik, who fed his victims to the women he had chained in his basement, and John High, also known as the acid bath murderer, which is pretty self-explanatory.
1: Now, I have a question. Okay. If you were to dispose of a body, how would you do it? Jake? How would I do it? Mm-hmm. I don't want to say because every time I do this, you pick it apart and you tell me that I would get caught and thrown in prison. No, just make it real quick and I won't say anything. How would I make... Okay. So here's, here's what I'm going to do, okay? First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go to EG's, get a fucking slushy. <laughs> just- <laughs> then... I'm going to go back to wherever this body is. Do you remember the first part? And I'm going to grind it up. Grind it up with what? A grinder from EG's? Because it's delicious.
2: (laughs) Don't encourage (laughs) it, (laughs) Rory.
1: Italian style. No, I'm going to grind it up into meat, dude. What else do you think? I'm going to crush the bones, crush the teeth, grind up the meat, and fucking put it in my freezer and feed it to all the homeless people that live in the backyard because they're hungry, obviously, and I'm trying to get away with this shit, so... Yeah. Jake's just got a hobo stable in the backyard. All right, Katie, your turn. How would you dispose of a body?
2: Um, I would probably do it the easy way and just find a grave that's been dug
0: and just plop them on, I guess, underneath someone that's about to be buried. Good call. Eva? Well, I live in Portland, and that's the body disposal capital of the United States, so I'd probably just drive out into the middle of the woods and dump it. But I really don't think it matters how I would do it because I would just tell Jake when he had a slushy. <laughs> <laughs> and he wouldn't believe me, yeah. so yeah. I'd never get caught.
1: I'd be like, oh, that's cool, Eva. Yeah. You want a, you want an can, EG?
0: Can you fuck off? I've got a slushie. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> I might offer you one because, you know, we're friends.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah. So I'd not, like, an never obnoxious get caught ass and I'd get a slushie. <laughs> exactly. Nice. Sweet. Yeah. How about you, Roar?
1: How would you do it, um, Roar? Probably like under a rose bush or someplace nice that I could visit and read next to.
0: Cool.
2: Um, <laughs> who is the guy that actually ground up his victims and fed them to people?
1: The hamburger man.
0: Hamburglar.
2: He had a really <laughs> gross name and he was huge. Brudos.
1: Uh. No, that was feet. Nathaniel Barjona? No. The other cook dude that lived in like. I can see his face. Missouri. There's a, I've seen a picture yeah, of Yeah, big fat dude. Big fat dude. Hamburger stand. Yeah, eater. But that's how I'd do it. I would fucking make sure to feed the world with my victims. So the good can come from bad.
0: What would you do with, like, Olsen's the hair? Meat
2: Joe Methany.
1: Joe Methany. He used to make belts out of it, so I'm probably going to do that, too. Do you remember that book? Olsen's Meat Pies just won't oh, do. We, we won't
0: eat, eat this awful, awful goo. goo. Yeah.
1: Anyway. That was That's the most ringing endorsement I've ever heard <laughs> for something.
0: Specific to our childhood, apparently. <laughs> hey,
1: so, Katie, I can do it for this week.
2: That is all for this week, yes.
1: All right, guys. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to send us an email at fourcornerscrimecast.com. That's F-O-U. No, that's wrong. Go ahead and send us an email at fourcornerscrimecast at gmail.com. That's F-O-U-R, cornerscrimecast at gmail.com.
2: You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash fourcornerscrimecast, our new Facebook group, the Four Corners Crimecast discussion group, On Twitter at Four Corners Cast and on Instagram at Four Corners Crime Cast.
1: And don't forget to give us a rate and review on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, and check out our website, fourcornerscrimecast.com, where you can go to get a full episode list or to send us an idea for an episode that you want to hear or to get your free sticker by going to our merch store, putting it in your cart, typing in Bingo Bango, hit checkout, get the email, get the sticker, get it all for free. And also, by the way, if anyone tells you that they've killed somebody and they're confessing it, and just tell go get a fucking slushy. <laughs> you don't have time for that negativity. And I just want to say thank you for Eva for being on this podcast. Did you want to shout out your friend? Did you said. Your- oh yeah, shout yeah, it out!
0: I do. Uh, my friend Christina. She is an avid listener, so hi Christina. And nice. She uh, makes eco-friendly. Uh, clothing and she has an instagram and an etsy store called naked faith that's n-a-y-k-e-d faith so check her out i own like five pairs of her leggings and they're super comfy and eco-friendly moisture wicking bamboo all that good stuff
1: yeah all right well thank you for listening thank you for being here eva thanks eva we have a
0: horrible one next week so
1: horrible awesome
2: up all right guys looking forward to it
1: Talk to you next week.
2: See ya. Thank you. Adios, motherfuckers. <music> Sometimes you just say things to her and I wonder if you're okay. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>